This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to Raw Beauty Talks. I'm your host, Erin Trelore. Ready to peer behind the highlight reel and all those polished pictures of the world's biggest influencers and wellness experts, we're going to uncover what beauty, health, and wellness truly means in today's world. As someone who really struggled with disordered eating and negative body image, I became a health coach because I'm passionate about redefining health and wellness so that it's less about the weight on the scale and more about how we feel. Let's pull back the curtain for some raw beauty talks. I am coming in hot or cold or actually don't even know. I don't know where I am right now. I just spent about 30 hours coming home from Paris because there were some wild weather delays with our connection. We almost missed a flight and I got home at about 4 a.m., And then obviously was so excited to see the kids, so woke up at 7 with them to find that school had been canceled because of a snow day, and our power was off. (laughs) Welcome home! Here we go! But I will say, despite the long-ass travel day that Shayna, one of my best friends, and I endured with her little tiny baby Lenny, who was the sweetest thing and was so good. Oh my goodness, I can't. She was better than us. She was better and more easygoing than we were, let me tell you. I just can't tell you that no matter how difficult it is to travel or what you experience on those travel days, going away and leaving your routine and going to a new country and surrounding yourself with people and having beautiful conversations and eating different foods and seeing different things, it is so freaking good for you. It is so good to remove yourself from those patterns so that when you come back, you have this just fresh perspective and fresh energy and you see things differently, you act differently, you make different choices I realize it is a profound privilege to be able to travel, but also, wow, I want it for every single one of you listening right now. And I hope you have some sort of plan to get away. You don't actually have to go to another country. You could literally go to another city, but whatever it is to get out of the space that you're in every once in a while and to switch it up. Obviously, at this point, I hope that you've heard that we are having the Raw Beauty retreat happening in Crete, Greece, September 29th to October 4th. This is going to be the most unreal travel experience and I've had some good ones that I will be hosting down there. It is a self-care retreat. I am already putting together the most amazing gift bags for everybody. We are just going to pour into you. You're going to move your body gently. You're going to eat beautiful foods. You're going to have deep conversations. We're going to grow together. We're going to rest together. We're going to fill the cup so that you go back home and just feel ready to take on life. All right, if this sounds good to you, click the link down below. I want to spend time with you in Crete, Greece. And so check it out. I mean, I don't even think I have to sell this thing because it's just going to be so good. All right, I am thrilled about today's guest and I'm recording this after our conversation. And let me tell you, this conversation is going to blow your mind. I had so many aha moments. We actually ended up talking about quite a few things that were not even on my list of questions for her. 
Terry Cole is joining me on the show today. She is an expert on mental health, self-love, and setting boundaries. Terry went from an alcohol-abusing teen to a globally recognized teacher, healer, and author who has helped thousands and thousands of individuals attain and sustain vibrant mental health and become really empowered in their relationships, not just to others, but also to themselves. Terry was once a super agent to celebrities and models, but after really seeing the struggles that came from building success that was defined by excess and extremes and external validation, she decided to go back to school to become a therapist so she could support these individuals in leading a more healthy and stable and happy life. In doing so and in doing this work, she began to expand her reach and has now worked as a therapist, a workshop leader, a professional speaker for over two decades. The happiest, most successful people on the planet all have one thing in common, and that is the ability to create and communicate clear, healthy, concise boundaries. This ability is hands down the biggest game changer when it comes to profound and lasting transformation. Today in my conversation with Terry, she talks about codependency and something new that she's coined. She's writing her second book on this high-functioning codependency. She'll talk about how so many of the challenges and issues that come up in therapy often come back to boundaries, and she teaches us specific strategies around how to set boundaries so that you feel increased self-esteem, more confident in yourself, a greater sense of energy, less depression, and more intimacy in your relationships. This episode is one where you are going to want to have a pencil and a pen or really be tuned in and present for it because Terry is a boss. And I know you're going to be leaving this episode with so many aha moments and takeaways. I'm also super excited to note that both Terry and I are going to be at the Real Love Ready Summit happening in April in Vancouver. It's called In Bloom. It's a love and relationship summit for anybody who is in relationship with others, which spoiler is all of us. It's happening April 14th to 15th in Vancouver at the Fairmont Waterfront Hotel. There is a star-studded lineup getting together, leading relationship experts to share their tips and advice and guidance and wisdom around building deep, intimate, connected relationships. Terry is going to be joining us Esther Perel will be there, Danielle Laporte, you've heard her on the show, Dr. Ish Major, Dr. Alexandra Solomon. I mean, I cannot think of a more epic lineup of experts. So I'm going to link down below to where you can get tickets to the Real Love Ready Summit in Bloom. Okay, enough from me. Terry, welcome to the Raw Beauty Talks show. Well, that was quite an intro. Thanks, Erin. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) So when I was reading through and kind of exploring all of the work that you've done over the last two decades in your career, there were, you know, so many directions that we could go in, but I kept seeing this word boundary coming up again and again and again. And I'm curious to know why boundaries are at the forefront or are such a focal point in the conversations that you're having as a therapist? 
Well, I think that my obsession with boundaries started, you know, they say like you teach what you most need to learn. No, oh, yes. And I was just a friggin' disaster <laughs> when it came to boundaries. I just didn't know, though that's what was the source of my pain or my frustration, my resentment in my relationships. I really thought it was everyone else. Like I think everyone does where I'm like, oh, that person's just entitled or that person just has these high expectations. When of course, you know, the phone call is coming from within the house. It's actually really you. I was sort of, you know, putting myself on a platter for others and then being like, why are you taking from this platter? So I learned throughout the process of being highly codependent. Um, I came from a you know a, an addictive kind of family, an alcoholic sort of family, super high functioning, but it doesn't change how alcohol impacts your ability to learn and grow and talk about what's real and talk about what's true. Because anyone who comes from any kind of an addictive system knows, you know, the first rule of addictive systems is don't talk about it. <laughs> don't <laughs> look talk away. About it with- Nothing's yeah, happening exactly. here. Ignore. <laughs> Exactly. So what I found is that in my own journey, as my career as a talent agent was sort of catapulting, because I was always incredibly ambitious. And I really, I really sincerely thought I was running towards something. Then a whole bunch of years of therapy later, I realized, maybe it was more accurate to describe it as I might have been running away from something, I might have been trying to prove something in my own life, my, I had a father who really could have used some boys, but he had four daughters. I am his youngest daughter. And so I had this whole chip on my shoulder of like, I'm going to be more successful than any stupid boy he could have ever had. And I think that a lot of that was fueling my ambition. But at the same time, there was a parallel process going on where I had gotten into therapy when I was 19 years old. I stopped drinking when I was 21. I was, I was a senior in college when I stopped drinking. Mm-hmm. My friends are like, why now? This is the dumbest time ever. And I was like, here's the thing, man. If I can quit now, I can just quit, right? Like if you can quit at the time when most people drink the most they've ever consumed in their lives. um, And I had also been drinking for a lot of years at that point. So being, you know, eyes wide open at the age of 21 really gave me this new lease on life. I just couldn't believe how therapy created these opportunities and these openings for me to change the trajectory of my life. So I used to think prior to therapy, I was like, oh, you know, we all come from different families. You know, you get dealt a hand and just make the best of that hand. What therapy made me realize is that I could be like, F this hand, forget this game. I don't, no, I'm not doing any of that. I'm literally making up my own game creating my own luck. And I I don't have, it doesn't have to go down like it did for a lot of people in my family where, you know, it sort of has to become a complete shit show before, you know, where something God awful needs to happen. And I was like, no, it, it, it doesn't have to go that way. And listen, this was, it wasn't like I came to this on my own. I was in therapy with a therapist who I'd been seeing for a year. And she was like, Hey, uh, what you're describing is alcoholic behavior. And I was like, who? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> me? Are you kidding me? I was like, well, then everyone I know is an alcoholic. She's like, maybe, but I don't care because I'm not seeing them. 
And if you don't go to a 12-step program, um, I'm going to stop seeing you. Wow. She set a firm boundary right then yes, and there. Did. Which changed your life, it sounds like. Oh, completely. Because here's the thing. You know, Aaron, I probably would have stopped, I imagine, because I'm, I, I am a pretty, I was pretty healthy, pretty optimistic. Like, I believe I would have come to this on my own after maybe like a decade of wasting time and having regrets and apologizing to people for crappy behavior and all the things that come along with that life of some a substance having control over you. But Bev, I write about her in the book, she spared me that. So I really was like, wow. So anyway, long way around the barn to get back to, I was a talent agent, but at the same time that I was being a talent agent, I was discovering so much about myself and about boundaries in the therapeutic process. And when I started learning how to set them language, what it was even about, how codependent I was, my God, there were so many things that I became so much less resentful. My relationships became more harmonious. I became more of an honest communicator. There was all of these things that happened from my own personal growth. And I became more and more interested. It wasn't just therapy. It was self-help. It was this whole burgeoning world that was happening. And this is long before you know there was like an online world. Uh, this was like through books and going to events and going to conferences that I just... I became way obsessed with that. And I decided at a certain point, even though I was really at the height of my career, I was running a bi-coastal talent agency, the New York office. I was like, I better leave this entertainment industry before I start really sucking. But I knew it was time to leave because what I actually cared about was the mental health of my clients. That was what I was committed to, getting people into eating disorder clinics and drug treatment clinics and ther getting everybody in therapy. Like, so I really didn't care about the movie deal or the Pantene deal that I was negotiating that I should have been super psyched about. I was so psyched that one of my models had 30 days clean. Yes. And I was like, okay. Yes. Yes. Just really clear what path you were, you were meant to be on and which path to lean into. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Robbie Talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. 
This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all faced, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friend. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you over. It's so fascinating to me that you never really hit that rock bottom or had that rock bottom moment that so many of my guests have had that kind of catapulted them. And you were able to find that insight prior to reaching that point to start shifting the direction that you were moving in. Do you think that like, I don't know the background of your family, but perhaps seeing your parents or other family members who were hitting that rock bottom place was enough to keep you straight on the straight and narrow a little bit more. Like, I don't want to go down that same path. Or is it just something innately within you that was like at 22, 21, 22, this alcohol is just not taking me where I want to go. I mean, it was honestly, it was that I respected my therapist so much and I knew that if she was saying it, there was something to it. And I, of course, I also knew the truth. I mean, listen, there's nobody who has a drinking problem who doesn't ever know they have a drinking problem in some way. You know if you are blacking out. You know if you are doing things when you are drunk that you would literally never do sober. That you know it. You know it's a problem. So what I felt, I remember when she had said, you know, you have to at least go to one 12-step meeting. I was like, Okay. So I remember it. Keep in mind, this is the late 80s. So here's me with my like, I mean, imagine the style. I have curly hair, naturally. And I literally would get a perm. I don't know why. Because <laughs> more, more curls are better. More, more, more. <laughs> <laughs> huge. My hair was dyed red, ridiculous amount of makeup, my stirrup pants, my jelly shoes, you know. You sound fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I definitely for sure thought I was with our, we had shoulder pads that we would literally move. They were, they were mobile that you could just have a white t-shirt on and put shoulder pads. Oh, yes. Like it was I'm into insane. It. I'm oh, into me it. too. So anyway, I remember going, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to find, I'm going to look up AA. I'm going to go find. So I went to a, I was in Syosset, Long Island and I went to the basement of a church and I was like, I'm going to sit right next to the door. Cause maybe this is a cult. Like, I don't know anything about this. I didn't know anything about recovery. I was still smoking cause everybody smoked my parliament 100s, but I was sitting by the door and this woman who was similarly shellacked like me. So she had the huge hair and makeup and all the things. She was probably about 10 years older than me. She came up to me and she was like, Oh, are you new? I was like, Oh God. Like I was hoping to like fly under the radar, you know? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, what brings you? And I said, honestly, my therapist said I needed to come to a 12-step program or she'd break up with me, basically. She thinks I have a drinking problem. She was like, oh, okay. And just to be friendly, 
Like, I, I don't know the rules of engagement of a meeting. So I just said, what brings you here? And she said, um, I killed a six-year-old boy in a drunk driving accident. Wow. Yeah. That hits differently. Yeah. I was like, and that changed my life. And I always look at her and go, the generosity of this beautiful soul who has to live with that for the rest of her life. It scared me so much because, of course, I had driven drunk plenty of times because everyone did. Mm-hmm. And not that that makes it okay, but it's no. true. Like, yes, this it is, is just true. the way it was. Yeah. And I remember I, I left the meeting, but it it shook me, you know, oh, yeah. her story. And I was sitting there and as soon as I got in my car, I just started bawling my friggin' eyes out and I had the radio on. I swear, this sounds like a cheesy movie, but I swear to God, the greatest love of all Whitney Houston came on, making me cry even harder. And I remember driving back to campus and just making a, a deal with the powers that be like, I get it. It does not have to be me. Like, thank you. It doesn't. Like, I understand this is not for me, but know that I don't need anything else to happen to me. I understand the assignment. Yes. And I'm done. And and I stopped drinking. I mean, oh. that, that was really what happened where it felt, it shook me to, to that point where I it felt like I had a new lease on life, a second chance mm-hmm. to have that not be me, you know? The power of vulnerability. And I'm not one, I mean, I used to always say, oh, what a coincidence. And I'm not one to believe that anymore. I believe more in synchronicity and the fact that you landed there and the fact that she felt she could share that with you and the fact that you heard that when you did in that moment and had that profound emotional response to it. And all of these things combined together takes you down a a much different path than the one that you are on. And it's incredible, you know, when we're moving through life, we often don't understand why things are happening to us or why we're going through this painful thing that we're going through or why we're the one who needs to stop drinking or we're the one who needs to work on our relationship with food in our body or has to have the difficult conversation with mom or whatever it is. But when you look back now and see all the pieces of what has become this quilt of your life and how it all fits together so beautifully. It is so profound. For anybody who's listening right now, just remember that whatever you're going through, you know, for whatever reason you're listening to this episode, there is a reason that you are hearing this. And for everybody who's listening, you're going to take something different from this conversation. Something different will stand out to you. You'll have a different aha moment. And that's that's for you. That's a little seed. So take it and hold on to it and water it and and see where it takes you. Ooh, I love this. Okay, I want to go back to something that you said a couple minutes ago around codependency. I don't think I actually know how to define that. Like, what is codependency? I'm happy to define it. In fact, I'm writing my second book right now on high-functioning codependency, a term that I coined. Great. So, let's talk about regular old codependency. Okay which is being overly invested in the feeling states, the outcomes, the decisions, the relationships, the circumstances of the people in your life to the detriment of your own internal peace. Wow. Can you say that again? Sure. It's being overly invested in 
to feeling states, the outcomes, the decisions, the circumstances, the situations of the people in your life, the people you care about, overly invested to the point of it being detrimental to your internal peace, maybe your physical, spiritual, financial well-being. Mm. Can you give us some examples of ways that you see women showing up in a codependent manner commonly? <sighs> well, yes, again. It's anytime, like everybody listening to this, think about when your best friend calls you and is in a crisis, has a problem. How quickly does that crisis become your crisis? Meaning, you check your urgency. If you feel like, oh my God, I have to fix this right now. I'm going to connect her with this person that I know. I'm Googling this. I have a book. I have a thing. I, I'm, 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 I'm in misfix-it mode. Like I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. And I want to be clear that, of course, especially if you're, I mean, as women, I mean, men too, but women more, of course, we're invested in the people, the happiness of the people we love, obviously. So being invested in their happiness, wanting to be a part of their solution, that's not codependency. It's when you're overly invested, where you are doing things for others that they can and should be doing for themselves, where you are auto advice giving, where you are centering yourself in the middle of someone else's situation by being like, I, I have the answer for you. I'm going to help you. You know, you can always count on me to be here for you. When I'm hearing you talk about this, I'm immediately like, shit. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe this is a word I should be more familiar with. And I think about more so a feeling that I get in my body and in, and I've I, I realize I have worked on this over the years in therapy, maybe without knowing it, but in particular around family members when they were going through difficult challenges, and especially my two younger sisters, where it wouldn't just be wanting to provide the solutions. I would feel in my body their pain. And so I remember having this moment, and I don't think my sister will mind because I've talked about it before with her, where I was like, had to say to her, you know, I'm finding whenever we're talking, whenever we're getting together, your anxiety is making me so anxious that I can't be around it anymore. Like, I need you to fix yourself because you're making me anxious. That mm -hmm. conversation did not go well, let me tell you, because <laughs> mm -hmm. I was completely unable to hold space for her in a time of need because mm -hmm. I didn't know how to set boundaries or how to do the deep healing work so that I wouldn't be so triggered and so that I could hold space. Right. Okay. So this is codependency. Yes, it is. And, and being an empath as well, which we can, we'll get into that as well. But okay. you basically put it on your sister, fix yourself or... I can't spend time with you. What's interesting is that at its core, the reason why codependency is part of my expertise is that at the base of codependency is disordered boundaries. Of course. Also at the base of, of codependency is a covert or overt desire to control the outcomes of others. Yes. So a lot of people don't see codependency as a control thing, but it really is. 
And then we can take it one step further and get into high functioning codependency as well, if you want to. So when I think about that situation, in my mind, I truly believed I want her to feel good. Like I want her to be happy and I want her to not be suffering. But in my own therapy work came to realize, no, this is actually about me wanting to feel good. Correct. And in order for me to feel okay and settled yep. and not like I need to fix and tend to and, and save. be and save and be anxious, I need her to fix herself. And this was just such a profound aha moment. My therapist actually said to me, you know, I of course, you believe that what you're doing is coming from the good of your your heart, but it's actually being really selfish because you're not allowing her her full human experience, which is going to include highs and lows. And exactly. you're asking of her to be somebody different than who she is. And so what we really need to work on is you. And I was like, oh, well, that sounds like a lot more work for me. What if she, you know, yeah. and that's why can't is. she just get it together? Yes. And so the only reason I'm telling this story right now is in case it rings true to anybody else, right? Like how often do we have a partner who, who are like, can you just do this differently or be this way differently or a parent or a sibling or whatnot? So, okay. Wow. This is, so, this is so interesting. What's high functioning codependency? Well, what I found, the reason I even came up with a new name and why I'm writing a whole book about it is that most of my clients are like you, are highly capable women who did not identify with codependency. It was like they're thinking Melody Beatty, codependent no more, got to be involved with an addict, got to be enabling, weak, meek. No. They were like, not me. So I remember, you know, I would say over the many years, because I've been a therapist for about 25 years, and I would say, oh, hey, what you're describing is a codependent, let's say, interaction. And they'd be like, no, wrong lady. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone depends on me, right? I'm not dependent on squad. I'm making all the money. I'm making all the decisions. I'm the rock in my family of origin. I'm the rock in the family I created. I'm the organizer. I'm the doer, me. I'm doing it. So what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, my clients don't know what codependency is. Start there. But also I had a particular breed of woman in particular who would gravitate towards my work. And they were women who mirrored the same way that I have been in the world. And of course I'm in recovery now, but it's, you know, it's just like recovery from alcohol. You're never like recovered. You're always going to be dealing with this desire to save the people you love from themselves or from their bad choices or quote unquote, according to you. But what we learn is emotional self-regulation. So the high functioning piece came in with that it's women who are so highly capable that nobody would look at them and A, think they were suffering because they're like, She's got it all together. Like, hello, it's fine. You know, she flew in at 3 a.m. She got up. She did the thing. She's got the kids. She's here interviewing. Like, all all of those things where there's an illusion that as high-functioning codependents, we project. And we're not just codependent with the people in our lives. We can be like auto-accommodators as well, where you're out in the world and you see a situation and you're like, oh, I'll move or I'll do that. Or no, do you need help? Or do you like constantly 
inserting ourselves in a way into other people's. We're also auto advice givers to anyone who will listen. Like I was codependent with everyone in my life. It could be my mailman. It could be my colorist. It did not matter. There was no relationship that was too on the periphery that I couldn't be like, Phil, let's talk about your women problems. Like, Absolutely. And you go, you would go deep with anybody who was there. Yeah. But this is so celebrated in a lot of ways. Like there's so much praise for this type of behavior. Yep. Because you're the hero. Because people can count on you. But here's the thing. A, high-functioning codependency or regular-ass codependency, they block intimacy. Because you fixing your sister in that moment or you you being like, go fix yourself, that that does not create a deeper being able to either hang with that person and say, what do you think you should do? What does your gut instinct say? How can I best support you right now? And I'm not saying, because all of us have the people in our lives who talk about the same crap all the time, stay in the bad, terrible relationship with the bad, stupid idiot, and then want to talk about the bad, stupid idiot all day, every day. You're not going to believe what bad, stupid idiot did. No, I'm going to believe it. I just can't believe you're still effing talking about it because from the moment you told me the first stupid thing that bad, stupid idiot did, I was like, what, why is she still with bad, stupid idiot, right? Like, why is she saying? So we don't have to subject ourselves to someone, let's say, putting up with and wanting to talk about the same thing and having no willingness to change it, right? We can say, I mean, my I had a similar coming to Jesus moment with one of my own siblings being in an abusive relationship, living in the woods with no running water, like literally a whole thing. And she was, you know, I was crying to my therapist and similar to what you were saying, maybe slightly more dramatic, where I was like, what am I going to do? Ah, crying. And my therapist was like, what do you mean? I'm like, I've been sending her money. I'm trying to get her to move out. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to, and you know, I've been down this road before with her, with other people as well. And she was like, Terry, let me ask you something. What makes you think, you know, what your sister needs to learn in this life? And I was like, uh, I think we can agree. She doesn't need to do it with like a crackhead living in the woods with no running water. Like, <laughs> can we agree? And she's like, no, because I'm not God. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know and neither do you. Again, mm-hmm. what you were talking about before, like people's bottoms, how the, how the bottom experience that will inspire uh, recovery it's so different for everyone. And so I couldn't continue to talk to my sister with her telling me about this abusive person. And my therapist made me see that I needed to set a boundary that I could lovingly do it. Cause I thought I didn't even know I had a choice. I was like, I'm her friggin' sister. Right. This is my duty. Yeah. Of course. And so I was, she helped me, you know, be able to talk to my sister and say, listen, I love you. And your situation is too stressful for me to listen to. You're saying the same things about this person. I know that when you're ready, you'll make a move. And when you're ready, I'll still be your person mm. to help you get out. Like when when you really want to make the move for real, for real, I'm in. And we talked maybe twice in nine months. And then she called me and said, hello, is your offer still good? <laughs> I was like, Aww. I'm getting in my car right now. Yes. She got into recovery. She went back to school. And she's never, she has not, that was decade, two decades ago at least. And she has not been in an abusive relationship since. Wow. Now, here's the flip, here's the other massive benefit 
of not relating to the people we love in a codependent way. My sister got to be the hero of her own story. I did not need to be the hero once again, because that was my role in the family system, for her story. Mm. And her getting better created her self-esteem, her her sense of confidence in like, she chose to leave. Yes. Yes, I helped her. And I had a little lake house that my husband and I winterized and let her stay for two years for free. You know, of course, that is not codependent. She was doing what she said she would do. I could afford to help her. Yes. That felt comfortable for you yes. as well. There was no resentment there for you being like, oh, she's living in our place. Because it wasn't you having to save her. It was her in choice and then you meeting her where she was. There's a different energy to that, a different dynamic. Yes. And she was also going to school and doing, like she was living, she was sober. She was going to meetings. She was living her friggin' life. So I was happy to be a part of the solution in that way, which is not the same as being the savior. So we, you and I had a similar sort of experience of the awakening that it's so much more loving to believe that the other person is going to handle their life. And even if they don't, it's still their life to handle or mishandle. Absolutely. And if you love them, you can still love them, right? It's, it's, they can't have to fit in a box for you, you know? Oh, I love that. That one line of allowing others in your life to be the hero of their own story, to be the main character of their own story, (laughs) to be in choice and to live through the highs and lows and to experience all of it, which is life. That is the, the beauty, the pain, the adventure of living a full, profound life. Yeah. While I was listening to you as well, a video that I watched of yours popped into mind, which I'm going to link down below, was around energy leaks. And I was thinking, what a gift to yourself to create these boundaries. I guess why this popped up was because, especially with high-functioning codependency, there are so many quote-unquote positives, maybe not around the codependency, but that come with that type of person. So somebody might wonder, well, what's what's the big deal? Like I'm just, I'm succeeding, I'm high functioning, I'm moving through life, I've got things under control, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's the downside? But then hearing you tell that story, I just could visualize the amount of energy you're pouring in this direction where it's not being received. It's basically an energy leak and it's it's dead energy at the end of the day. So for you to be able to to create that boundary and then to pull that energy back and to move it into flow with something that is in alignment is incredibly powerful. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, maybe things that you notice with people who are struggling with codependency? What are some breakdowns that begin to happen over time? Where does this show up or impact our life? Physical is one. In what way? Like a headache? Autoimmune disorders, insomnia, TMJ, IBS. So many, there are so many physical ailments that come because you're not listening. You're, you're going beyond your, your capabilities. You're going beyond your, like there's no reserve. Yeah. And we're just, we're just going anyway. We're like grinding away at the thing. 
because we're always like, I'm fine. I'll be fine. I'm always fine. I could sleep tomorrow. It's okay. Like I'm, I'm okay. You know? And so a lot of times we end up with the physical stuff. I always see it as an opportunity that like the universe has been like, tap it on your shoulder, tap it on your shoulder. I mean, me personally, I got diagnosed with cancer in my early thirties, right? As I was sort of learning all of this, but still pretty high functioning codependent. And so, you know, not listening. And the universe was like, well, now I'm going to throw you down a flight of cancer stairs and see if that wakes you up, which it did um, completely changed my life. I was like, oh my God, if this thing, if I have something that might shorten my time on earth, could I actually say I'm living my best life? And the answer was no. I was already in the process of changing my life and changing careers at that point, but it shifted my mindset and really made me realize how finite our time is and that we don't have all the tomorrows in the world that we may think we do. And so I was even more motivated to become very emotionally healthy, very good with my boundaries so that I could honor what I needed to do. So back to the energy leaks, we have emotional energy leaks. We have physical energy leaks because when we're taking on other people's stuff, when we are concerned about the people in our life that we love actively, when we're thinking about them, it's like, I remember I I did a reading with someone once when I was a a full-blown therapist with a full practice, which now it's more like writing books and speaking and courses and masterminds and whatever. She was like, I was like, why am I so effing tired? And she was like, well, from what I can see, you're carrying all the charts of all your clients and all your friends and all your sisters (laughs) around all the time. And I was like, wow, it's a good point. And how to, how to put that down. And that is through the process of learning how to effectively set boundaries and starting to really focus on how important boundaries are so that I could live a life where I felt nourished, where at night when I put my head down on the pillow, I felt like, you know what? Everything's okay. I'm okay. And really, really getting clear about what is my side of the street? What am I responsible for in this life? What are other people's? And the thing is, it's not about like letting other people live their lives. It's really having the profound realization that you don't have a right to trample on the sovereignty of others. And that the same way you, right, we expect to be self-determined, right? How would I feel if someone were telling me what to do? No, I don't think so. I will be doing whatever I want to be doing. That is what I do in my life. I will make the mistakes. I will take responsibility for them. But somebody bossing me around and telling me what I needed to do, I don't think so. It wouldn't work. So part of that, for me, part of the um, getting those boundaries in place, they're internal boundaries with ourselves, right? So we have all kinds of boundaries. You have physical boundaries. You've got material boundaries, emotional boundaries, mental boundaries, sexual boundaries. But we also have internal boundaries which is how do I relate to myself? Do I keep my word to myself? Do I prioritize how I feel? Or am I always last on my own list? You know, do I, am I on time? Am I trustworthy? Do I deliver things when I say I will? Am I there when I say I'm gonna be? Those are all sort of internal boundary stuff. Like how do you manage those things for yourself? Because if you're not managing them well, your life becomes chaotic. Right. 
It's so profound. I did a podcast episode after doing my meditation teacher training on this Buddhist, I don't know if you would call it a philosophy of right speech and how profound this idea of right speech was for me. It just so subtle and so obvious, but there was something about being mindful of the words I was using and whether I was speaking the truth and really looking at like, are you ever telling little white lies when you go shopping? Are you being honest with your partner about what you what you purchased? Yeah. Like these aren't these aren't super profound things, but they do make a difference mm. in the way that you feel about yourself and your inner peace. So I feel like there's a little bit of crossover there in regards to what you're saying. I'll link to that podcast episode down below. I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole because I want to keep on this topic of boundaries and really get into some of the nuts and bolts around setting boundaries. When I was thinking about my my raw beauty crew who's listening right now mm-hmm. and boundaries, there were so many different areas where we could dive into. But one thing you just mentioned comes up with every single woman that I talk to, that I coach, that I work with. And that is the struggle to prioritize themselves, always putting themselves last on the list, you know, exercise, they're too exhausted to do it at the end of the day because they've given to their boss, their email, their partner, that random person that they haven't met, their social media channel, the list goes on and on and on, right? And so what advice do you have for somebody who's struggling with that, like really prioritizing themselves? I think we have to understand, like, what, what is it to assert our boundaries? What actually is it? So let's just identify that because I feel like it's easier if we're all on the same page. So your boundaries are your own personal rules of engagement. This is according, according to me. That lets other people know what's okay with you and what's not okay with you. Your boundaries are comprised of your preferences, your desires, your limits, and your deal breakers. Like your non-negotiables, the things that are just a no-go no matter what for you. So it's not enough to know them. And most people don't even know them. But it's not enough to know them. You have to know them and then have the ability and be fluent enough in the language of boundaries to communicate them readily and transparently. So you see why I wrote a whole freaking book on it, right? I can see. (laughs) And I'm so excited to get this book. (laughs) I will be ordering it immediately after this conversation. Yeah. Yes. So, And actually, if you want to order the book, go to boundarybossbook.com because we still have all of the bonuses there. Okay, great. I'll link to that down below for sure. So back to establishing what your boundaries are and going back to your question, which is the lack of prioritization of self and this whole, so let's start with how we were trained in the world. We were indoctrinated into a belief that the more selfless we are, the more noble, the more righteous, the more loving, the more feminine. So we learned this, even if our our maternal impactors, as I call them, because it might have been a stepmom or an auntie who raised you, whoever, even if they don't say these things, right, in words, they don't have to. Because so much of the time, it's what we, we are witnessing, their own deep and profound selflessness and being treated in a particular way and always sort of taking one for the team. But we got positive feedback 
You know, think about, especially if you were raised as a woman, right? Think about all the things. Oh, where's my happy girl? Turn that frown around. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Constantly telling us that it's our job to make sure everyone around us is comfortable, is okay with what's going on, right? And and what that is, is like endless self-abandonment is what we're taught. And so it makes sense that you have clients who go, I, ju- I, can't, I just can't seem to get it together. I just can't, you know why? Because you can't say no. And when you have the disease to please, ultimately you're pleasing everyone but yourself. And you can only do that shit for so long without really becoming bitter and becoming a martyr. Like we've all known older women who were like, after everything I've done for you, martyr guilt. You don't think when they were 24, they were like, I can't wait to grow up to be a martyr. Do you? Because they didn't. It happened over time, over decades of self-abandonment. What It twists our reality of what we think other people owe us because we did not prioritize ourselves. So it's learning that it's so much more than just not making time to go to the gym. Like this is a base thing. So I think something that we can do that's kind of simple is just starting with buying time. If you're someone who's kind of an auto yes person, people ask you and you're like, okay, great, sounds good. For the next seven days, just nobody is saying yes to anything. We're going to buy time. And instead of yes, you're going to say, you're going to put like a pin in it, like, oh, hey, I need to check with my partner. I'll get back to you. Thanks for thinking of me. Um, Let me check my calendar. I need to look at my workload to know if I can help you with your project. I'll let you know by Friday at three. Like, or you can say, hey, I'll let you know tomorrow. I've I've instituted a 24-hour decision-making policy for my own sanity. Like, we can do it with humor. We can do it tongue-in-cheek. But you have to do it. Because here's the thing. We've already taught these people in our life how to treat us. And now it's time to teach them something different. You don't owe anybody an immediate answer unless your house is on fire and it's a fireman saying, do you want to leave? Like you don't, right? I mean, obviously with minor children, we're not talking about minor kids because we are fully responsible for them because we chose to have them. But in general, you, you, you can come up against demanding people. And if you're a giver, oh, trust me, you, you, you've attracted a zillion and one takers in your life because they spot you a mile away. And you've got to be the one who sets limits because the takers won't. And again, I'm not vilifying all the people in your life. I'm just saying, when you are a high-functioning codependent, you're over-functioning, you're over-giving, you're over-performing, you're over-delivering, you're over all the things, you're over-feeling, right? That's what we do in the world. And it's exhausting, but then we become resentful. So the first way to start moving away from that is change your mind about what you owe whom and give yourself grace. So the beginning is buying time. You buy time and say, hey, I'll let you know by Wednesday. I'll let you know whatever I need to check with my roommate or my partner or my sister, whoever. And then you go back and say, it was so nice of you to think of us. Actually, we already have plans on Sunday. I hope you guys have a great time. I looked at my calendar and realized my due dates are too close to when you were asking for help. So I actually can't. I got to pass on this one when I'm done. 
if I can, if I can come help pick up, I will. Like you can, you can set limits. If someone's like, can you help me move all day on Saturday? You can be like, I can help you move from 12 to two. That's exactly the amount of time I have. And I'm happy to do it if you are, or I'm unavailable. I really can't. I'm so sorry. That's it. Like just give yourself permission to say no, because every no to some crap you don't want to do that you're going to do resentfully or badly, or you're going to cancel at the last minute because that happens too, is a yes to you, your family, your heart's desire, what you want to do, something that's going to actually fill up your cup instead of take from your cup. So it's changing your mind, slowing down enough, which is why meditation is such an important part of what I teach. I'm also a meditation teacher. I've got meditation CDs, all the things, because we're so quick we need to slow down and meditation having a dedicated practice for the last like 20 years that also profoundly changed my life instead of being so reactive i became so much more responsive where i was like oh i have two seconds to think should i hit send on that really mean email i just wrote no maybe i should leave it in drafts for a minute and then and then we can see how I feel. Maybe tomorrow morning, if I still want to send it, I can send it. But before that, I was just the queen of hitting send and being like, oh, now I have to apologize to this person. You know, That sacred pause is so beautiful because it allows us to move from a place of reaction, which most of us on autopilot will tend to say yes, will tend to lean towards helping, doing whatever anyone else needs. And it gives us a a moment to move into choice. I could actually, I would have guessed that you're a meditation teacher just from speaking to you, just based on the cadence of your, of the way that you speak and how thoughtful you are about it. It's really interesting as I interview different people, I can tell maybe other than Wim Hof, who can meditate and who doesn't. Wim is still on a whole nother level. Of, I love him. <laughs> I know. He's amazing. Okay. So I love this first step, which is to just pause for a moment. We're going to do a seven day or 24 hour grace period for yourself to just really connect with what it is that you want and, and where your boundary is. Now I'm thinking of my girl and she is freaking out in this moment of pause. I'm going to state my boundary. And what if that's offensive to them? And what if they don't like me? And what if they think this and that and the other thing? And she knows what she wants to do, but it's just feeling anxiety provoking. Where do we go from here? Well, we do whatever is self-soothing, right? Whatever, whatever feels self-soothing in the time period that you're giving yourself, you don't need to jump to the boundary, right? We're still going to give ourselves 24 to 48 hours to think about it and to prepare. You can always start the boundary conversation with sweetness, right? If it's appropriate, right? We're going to do self-soothing. We're going to, then we're going to think about what we're going to say. Now in the book itself, I have a whole chapter of just scripts of every situation. Like if you left a cult, I have a script for you. If you run into those people in the, in the supermarket, I swear to God, Love like this. every scenario you could ever think of, I've hit it and you have a script. And I also give you a lot of sentence starters which makes it easier. How do we start? And if it's someone who you like, but you can't do the thing they want you to do, you start with, thank you so much for thinking of me. Or I love that you always include me 
And I super wish I could do it, but I can't. Um, or if it's something you really don't want to do, then you just say, you know, I checked in with Bob and actually we're busy on that day. So thank you for thinking of us, but we can't make it. We're, we already have other plans. Here's the thing. You don't have to, the real thing is don't write a dissertation about your no. Don't write a dissertation about your no, because the more you explain, the more they feel like you owe them an explanation and you don't. And they may say, why, what else are you doing? And you can say, um, hey, nosy Nancy, that's, that's private. Like, Things and, you know, stuff. I would have shared that if I wanted to, <laughs> you know, like, again, we can use humor with people who can handle it. I use humor a lot with boundaries, like keeping it light. You know, you've got a nosy person at the office who's like, oh, you know, what are you doing on your day off? And you're like, Bob, duh, that's why it's called a personal day. It's personal, right? <laughs> Love that. Funny, but we're keeping it light. But what we're not doing is telling Bob what we're doing on our day off. So there's many very nuanced ways of creating boundaries. So what I say to the person who feels anxious is allow yourself to be uncomfortable and realize boundaries can always be set with kindness, right? And if someone has a reaction, that's okay. That doesn't mean abort the mission. If someone is like, well, I'm really disappointed. You can say, I see that. I'm sorry. I really wish I could do it. Well, you could change it. You could do this. Actually, no, I've already decided I'm not doing that. But, I, but I, I'm sorry that you're disappointed. There's so much strength behind what you're saying, and it is coming across with kindness. It's kind and clear and yes. to the point. And so I, I can see how over time after practicing this, the that it is a form of self-love that you're giving yourself by setting boundaries. Yes. It will fuel and feed you and build self-esteem in doing so, which is so powerful. But, you know, Erin, another thing that people don't understand about having healthy boundaries is that it doesn't just protect you and your sovereignty and uh, it creates a certain amount of self-respect. It protects your relationships. Because when we're saying yes, when we really want to say no, under the umbrella of being nice, is that shit nice? No. That shit is dishonest. We're misleading people, giving them corrupted data, and then being like, why do I feel so alone in the world? Oh, because nobody knows you. Because you're too busy building this false self and this facade. And that takes time and energy and bandwidth. Let's really dial into who we are authentically. Let's build that authentic self. Let's let the people in our lives know who we are. What are even just something as simple as your preferences? Because so many of us have been trained out of our preferences. Like, oh, I'm easy. Whatever you guys want to do. You know me. No fuss, no muss. It's no fuss. Your preference is not a problem. Your preference Preferences, desires, limits, deal breakers, they're not just your boundaries. They're also the, the unique qualities that make you uniquely you. Right? Your preference is not a problem. Your preference is not a problem. What's so interesting too is that I often find that after years and decades of people pleasing is it takes women a moment to figure out what their preferences even are. Are. Like, how often have you been asked, what, what do you want for dinner tonight? Glennon Doyle 
kills me on this because I'm exactly the same, but she never knows what she wants for dinner. And, and I don't think that's because she's people pleasing It's probably just a nuanced thing about her. But, you know, think about all the, 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 the moments when it takes you a second to even really think about what your preference is because you're so used to accommodating other individuals' preferences. Hence auto-accommodating. Auto-accommodating. One thing as well that I want to note in regards to this conversation and this practice of setting boundaries is that for anyone who's struggled with this, it is going to be a practice. Like it's going to feel maybe a bit clunky at the beginning and awkward and anxiety provoking. And, um, and so remember that that is a sign of growth. That's a sign of stepping out of the comfort zone and you're not going to be a master of boundary setting like Terry is now the first time that you do it. And, and yet that's not a a reason to stop. It's a sign to keep going and that you likely haven't had an opportunity to really learn how to set boundaries in your life so far. Of course, because nobody freaking taught us. So go get my book, get the audio book. You can do it. You, you don't have to do this alone, right? I've spent 20 something years teaching people how to do it. Step by step, no matter where you are, no matter how much of a disaster you think you are, you're not. It's like you expecting yourself to know how to be fluent in boundaries is like expecting to wake up fluent in Mandarin tomorrow because you really want to be. You need to learn, you know? So, and I also have a gift for your audience that I think they will really like. And it's about boundaries and codependency. It goes a little bit deeper. There's a video, there's a PDF, and they can find that at boundaryboss.me forward slash raw beauty. Amazing. I will link to that down below. Thank you so much. I also have the honor of introducing you at an upcoming summit that's happening in Vancouver, BC. The Real Love Summit is coming to town. Terry is going to be speaking at this along with some other absolute icons. Oh my God. Esther Perel. Amazing. Um, Alexandra Solomon, Dr. Alexandra Solomon, uh, Terry Real. Uh, and uh, Dr. Ish Washington is also going to be there. So this summit, it's April 14th and 15th, is going to be so hardcore. I myself am talking about cultivating lasting love with Terry Cole, because I've been married for 25 years. And also, I'm a therapist. But I have all, all my own ideas of how, how do we keep it good when you, when you create um, a healthy relationship? And how can you, from the beginning, what are the things that you can do that really um, sustain because a lot of people think that love is magic. You know, it's like when the stars align, no the fairy tale that we've been sold. Yes. No, it's not, it's not good for you because it's not true, but it's amazing and worth doing the work. So anyway, I would, I'm so excited that I'm going to get to see you in person. And I hope that everybody listening comes and sees us at our summit. It's going to be so much fun, April 14th and 15th. Please come join. And this is not just for individuals who are in relationships. If Mm -hmm. you are single and wanting to be in a relationship or even a better relationship with yourself or your friends or family, there, I mean, these types of conferences just leave you feeling so much more connected, armed with tools and with this like profound energy that radiates and can really move you into pretty incredible action in your own life. I've been lucky enough to attend several conferences like this over the years, and I have no doubt that this is going to be one of the best that I've ever been to. So please come. And I just, 
I cannot stress enough the value of investing in your self-development and your growth. So if you've loved this conversation today, check out down below uh, the link to the Real Love Summit happening in April in Vancouver, anyone in the Lower Mainland. I would love to see you there. Also, please send me a DM if you're coming because I would actually like to meet you in person. And Mm -hmm. uh, let's learn and grow and start setting boundaries together. Terry, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Erin. It was great. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. Please take a moment to rate, review, or follow on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with someone that you think could benefit. Join the Raw Beauty Talks community at Raw Beauty Talks. And remember, it's your story, your body, your mind, and your journey. So think about what resonates with you and leave the rest behind. I'll see you next week. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com slash listen or on your favorite podcast platform.